You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Brokerages in Taiwan threatened with DDoS. Polish banks compromised in watering hole campaign. Cyber vigilantes poke at unsecured printers and dark web hosting. China ratchets up its effort to control its internet. The U.S. shares classified intelligence on Russian influence operations with European allies and works on its own information operations capability. And a former NSA contractor will probably face espionage charges related to the shadow brokers. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, February 7, 2017. Authorities in Taiwan are investigating extortion threats made against five brokerages. The extortionists, who claim to represent the Armada Collective, a group that's been active elsewhere, say they'll subject the brokerages to distributed denial-of-service attacks if they're not paid some $9,700. The brokerages haven't paid. The Armada Collective has been observed intermittently at least since October 2015 with much of the research on the criminal group being done by DDoS protection shops Cloudflare and Akamai. Many of their earlier attacks have been largely bluffs, and the group has never come close to mounting the one terabyte per second attack traffic they claimed. Whether this group is the familiar Armada Collective or not, the Taiwanese shops are wise to have refused payment. Other earlier victims have been too easily spooked. Payments totaling more than $100,000 have been observed headed for the Armada Collective. Several Polish banks suffered a malicious JavaScript infestation after employees innocently visited the Financial Supervisory Authority, a Polish government regulatory agency. The infection could lead to installation of a remote-access Trojan. Polish media are generally attributing the incident to a foreign intelligence service, read, of course, Russia. But many observers aren't so sure and believe this could have been the work of a criminal gang instead. Sometimes it's difficult to make the distinction. It doesn't appear that any depositors' accounts were looted. We heard from High Tech Bridges CEO Ilya Kolichenko, who tells us that this is another example of hackers finding creative ways to compromise financial institutions, and not just in Poland either. Quote, We should expect that cybercriminals will find more creative and reliable ways to compromise their victims. Trustworthy websites, such as governmental ones, represent great value for cybercriminals, even if they don't host any sensitive or confidential data. End quote. In this case, we note the compromised government website was useful as a watering hole to infect visitors. The use of JavaScript in the Polish attacks is becoming something of an outlier. 
It's not that JavaScript has become noticeably more secure, but rather that criminals are turning to file types less likely to arouse suspicion. Researchers at Microsoft and Intel Security find attacks increasingly based on LNK and SVG attachments. Cyber vigilantes have been at work recently. One of them, who goes by the nom de hack Stack Overflowin, has caused vulnerable networked printers to push out old-style ASCII art and what looks like a picture of Frankenstein's monster, and the warning that the printer had been roped into a botnet. Stack Overflowin, who claims to be a secondary school student in the UK, has said, according to CSO magazine, that there really isn't a botnet, he's just trying to raise awareness of vulnerabilities. Young master Stack Overflowin, we think, is skating on thin legal ice. On Friday, another vigilante, this one unnamed, compromised, doxed, and defaced Freedom Hosting 2. Freedom Hosting 2 is a dark web service that caters to people who wish to have an anonymously hosted site accessible through Tor, but who lack the know-how to set one up. The hacker claimed to have found large quantities of illicit information in Freedom Hosting 2. Does this sound familiar? Your favorite band announces tour dates, and you sit by your computer ready to buy tickets the moment they become available online. And in what seems like nanoseconds after they go on sale, boom, they're sold out. Or at best, you may be able to get a seat in the nosebleed section. Well, those tickets were probably scooped up by bots. And recently, Congress tried to crack down on ticket-buying bots. We spoke with Rami Assad from Distill Networks for the details. The Bots Act is a, uh, a new piece of legislation that was introduced in, in Congress and, and passed uh, through, through both chambers and it was signed. And the point of it was to eliminate ticket scalping online. People like Lynn manuel who the producer of Hamilton and you know a lot of different artists were getting tired of um, ticket scalpers making more money on their shows than they were. Um, and at the same time, consumers felt like they couldn't afford to go to shows anymore, whether it's a concert like Taylor Swift or a play. Um, the, the, the ticket industry, there was so much demand that pe- middlemen were coming in, buying up tickets and, and marking them up significantly. So Congress got involved to pass a law that said it was illegal to buy tickets using bots. Um, ticket scalping has you know, been a thing forever, right, before we even had the Internet. But when you had one person that was going to go manually and buy the tickets and then manually stand outside and sell them, it was manageable. Now that you have bots and you buy and sell these tickets online, the scale at which these scalpers are operating made it really hard to manage and made it improbable that real users and fans are going to get the, the tickets at a fair price. And so um, the Bots Act said we can, we can fine you up to a, an X amount per ticket that you buy if you use bots. In New York, there was a state legislation that said we can even send you to jail for it. And so is the, is the act in effect, and is it having uh, any success? It is in effect. It is not having any success that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, they have not prosecuted anybody on under this act. Now, the New York Act, the state attorney has prosecuted some people under that, so there was some significance there, but I think it was like whack-a-mole. One, one company gets squashed down and another one springs up. We haven't seen it really make a, a, a big difference in, in online ticket sales and resales and, and scalping. Um, we're seeing it be just as prevalent as ever before. How can they protect themselves against these kinds of attacks? Well, there's companies like us, and, and I don't mean to just pitch us, there's there's uh, several companies out there that have realized that this is a that this is, needs to be a purpose-built solution 
innovation and, um, and offer a, a product or a service to, to help companies mitigate bots. This problem has gotten enough awareness that there are competing solutions out there to help companies solve this problem. And, and without you know, giving away too much of your secret sauce, what are the things that you look for to, uh, to identify that something is indeed a bot? Well, we, we have a, a multi-layered approach. We, uh, we fingerprint every connection coming in, any device coming in, and based off of tracking every device, we look at the behavior and we say, we profile a website using machine learning and, and identify what normal user behavior looks like and find anomalies to that. Um, at the end of the day, the bad guys, what they're doing is spoofing each of these different signals, and we've layered in dozens and dozens of signals to hopefully find one that they have not spoofed, which allows us to then um, identify them as, as potentially malicious. That's Rami Assad from Distill Networks. China continues its long march toward exerting national control over its Internet, establishing an interdepartmental authority that will check and vet Internet hardware and services. Foreign observers see this as both a means of social control and, arguably more importantly, an anti-competitive regime designed to freeze foreign businesses out of the Chinese market. Chinese authorities say no, the latest measures are designed to remedy the disordered development they say the country's Internet services have exhibited. As fears of election hacking and influence operations rise in Europe, the United States moves to share intelligence developed during the last election cycle with officials in France, Germany, the Netherlands, and Norway. The intelligence being shared includes the classified version of the U.S. intelligence community's investigation of Russia's information operations. The U.S. is also said to be preparing its own information operations capability to be wielded by the State Department's Global Engagement Center. Yesterday, the U.S. House of Representatives passed, by voice vote, email privacy legislation that would restrict law enforcement access to stored emails. And finally, Hal Martin, the former NSA contractor arrested when investigators allegedly found very large troves of highly classified material at his Glen Burnie, Maryland home, will probably be charged with espionage. Martin's lawyers have portrayed him as a zealous patriot who took material home to study so he could do a better job at the agency. But prosecutors are said to be seeing a significant overlap between what Martin is alleged to have taken and the NSA tools purveyed by the shadow brokers. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire.
And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals, confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. Joining me once again is Dale Drew. He's the Chief Security Officer at Level 3 Communications. Uh, Dale, you all are seeing a big uptick in ransomware, yes? We are seeing an explosion in ransomware. Ransomware is becoming probably one of the more popular me- uh, mechanisms of bad guys getting quick cash, um, as well as uh, wreaking havoc against their victims. And is this the old adage of, you know, why do you rob banks? That's where the money is? <laughs> that's that's exactly right. And and it's it's the least amount of effort required these days. I mean, you know, it used to be where, well, not used to be, it, it, you know, there's still other mechanisms for bad guys to get you know, to get cash, whether it's, uh, you know, loading malware on your machine that'll record your keystrokes to get access to your bank password or your credit card numbers. But but ransomware is, is probably the most express way for bad guys to get access to quick money right now is because not only do they, they load malware the same way that they load malware where traditionally, you know, you get an email, you click on it, and that malware is loaded on your system, but they encrypt critical files relatively rapidly, and then they ask you for a ransom to uh, unencrypt it. And once a user pays, we've seen situations where the bad guy will then ask for another ransom because he now he, now he knows what your tolerance levels are. And then when the bad guy gets as much money as he possibly can, in a lot of cases, the bad guy does not provide the password to unencrypt. And, you know, we, we see conflicting stories about that. I, I see uh, reports where many people are paying the ransomware. Some of them do get their files back. And yet law enforcement is uh, pretty much in agreement that you shouldn't pay the ransom. Yeah, and, and I'd, I'd say it's twofold. I'd say we we see a lot of uh, password recovery uh, happening on the consumer side more than we're seeing it on the business side. Mm. Uh, but but more importantly, the reason the, the primary reason that you hear from law enforcement and uh, from industry not to pay ransom is because when you pay ransom, you're also placed on a list of people who will pay ransom. Right. And, that, and that's the same thing for, for, for people who, who pay ransomware for DDoS. Once a particular bad guy has uh, realized all of the money that he'll be able to make uh, on you from a ransomware perspective, he's able to sell your name uh, to a list of people who pay ransom for other bad guys to find out what your tolerance level is for future ransom. So keep those backups up to date. Yeah, the the most effective measure in protecting against ransomware is to back up your systems. Patch your systems so you cannot be susceptible to uh, to malware in the first place. But no matter what, back up your systems on either a USB drive or a cloud provider so that if you if your files are encrypted, you can easily wipe your system and reload your uh, your backup. Dale Drew, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, 
Banta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.